Hello, and welcome back to Crescent Moon Kids podcast, where we discuss all things parenting. Today's episode may be just the thing you've been seeking as you try to be more conscious of the ways you interact with your kids, and maybe you notice that your intention as you communicate with them. So most of us have programs in our head. Often we say things that were possibly said to us or we heard from somewhere growing up, and we really don't have um, a connection with the deeper meaning or how that message may affect our children. So I have a little story today for you. When my youngest son was about maybe eight or nine, he had a friend whose father was a sheriff deputy. And one day, this father came to pick up his son from the school where both of the kids attended and I was also teaching there, and the first thing I said to my son when I saw him come in was, oh, he's coming to get you. Now, you're probably thinking right about now, what? But thankfully, so thankfully, the deputy was very aware, and he said to me, don't tell him that. We get enough negative press as it is. We want children to know that we're helpers. Well, needless to say, this was a huge eye-opener for me. Looking back on this, I couldn't believe I actually said that. And that at, the, at the time, I thought it was okay, or just I apparently was not aware. But what I recognized as I dug deeper into this and really started to reflect on it was that I wasn't truly aware of what I was saying. And I had been carrying a message from me with me from when I was that age. <clears throat> I was able to remember that my dad had said that very thing to, to me about my mom. So when we would be driving in the car and we saw a police car, he would say that to me. He would say, they're coming to get your mom. And so he was probably teasing and obviously didn't really mean the cops were coming to get my mom because she is pretty much a saint. But as kids do, I took it literally. And it became then a subconscious message in my mind that I was not even aware existed until I said it to my child. And this is often what happens as parents. We, our children really call up these things that are kind of buried within us. I was extremely grateful for that dad because he stood up to me and he set me straight. And I apologized to him and I apologized to my son for not being aware. So I wanted to share that story because we've all said things we wish we could change. We all find ourselves repeating a mantra that we don't really believe anymore. But the good news is we can become more aware of our words and our motives and our intentions. So this podcast will hopefully prompt you to, first of all, notice your words, because that's really the first step in making any kind of change is just becoming aware and noticing. And I had a little help that day noticing my words And I'm so eternally grateful to that sheriff deputy. If you notice how you're talking to your child, notice the intention behind the words you're saying. Notice if your message is positive or if it's negative. Notice, do you really believe what you're saying? Or is this just some old message from from your childhood when you were a child? Just notice, just become aware, really listen to yourself. That's the first step. And sometimes it's hard because you're immersed in your day and you just you know, sort of get on this sort of um, cruise mode in your life. But 
it really is a, a critical piece to becoming a, a better parent and really understanding how to help your children. And I was really able to notice the intention behind my words, partly because I was confronted by an aware father and partly because I wanted to become a better parent too. And by saying you want to be a better parent, you're not really necessarily saying you're a bad parent now, but I believe it's important to continually strive for more awareness, more sensitivity, more consciousness, more intentionality and things like that. So the next step after becoming aware and noticing your thoughts and words, intentions, your actions, is to find new ways to interact. And I always tell parents it's important to highlight those things you want your child to say, you want your child to do. As an example, if you say, don't run, kids ultimately hear the word run. But if you say, we can walk our feet when we're inside, they will hear that word that you're hoping for. The goal is to help them remember to walk. And we sometimes take it for granted that they should already know the rules and what's expected and all of that. But let's remember, they're kids. No matter what age, kids are impulsive. Their brains are not fully developed. And honestly, it is tiring. It's exhausting. It can be frustrating at times to keep repeating yourself. But to be fair, that's exactly what kids need. They need our patience. They need perseverance. And they need... Uh, follow through. They need the repetition and really keeping that strong boundary as a parent. Now, obviously, if the behavior just keeps repeating over and over and over, and after you know, especially after you've be given them incessant information, then it's time to take a different approach. And so maybe they have to hold a hand every time they go into building until they can mostly remember to walk, or maybe they have to wait outside the museum for a few minutes with mommy while daddy takes the other kids inside as a consequence for not remembering to walk. But the point here is that we can affect change by giving them the information they need to be able to do the right thing. And so I know I've said this repeatedly throughout my episodes, but please, please, please don't use the word good boy or good girl as a way to get them to behave. Kids really don't know what that means. They don't have a way to reference it or to put it in a, in a concrete context. When you feel like praising them by saying good boy, good girl, or whatever, think of how you can reflect back to your child what you saw in them that you classify as, quote, good. Things like, you were really able to remember to walk your feet. Even when that long hallway seemed like a good place to run, that was helpful. Or you could say, when you remember to walk in the building, everyone can enjoy their time and stay safe. Or another option would be, your walking feet reminded other kids they needed to walk also. Thank you. That was helpful. So these types of responses give your child a concrete example of why we have the walking rule. It gives them information and it shows them honor and value and respect. And generally, you know, kids do want to do the right thing. It looks like sometimes they don't. They can seem devious or mischievous. And it gets harder when they're tired or when they don't feel well. But really, most of the time, they do want to follow the rules and become a functioning member of society. They do want to do good things. And so, finally, after you've become aware of those old mantras you have, and you can think about some of the ways you can change your interactions... 
The next step is practice, practice, practice. My piano teacher, when I was a child, would tell me, practice makes perfect. And I used to get so annoyed by that. But I, I do see the point in it. Um, we're not looking for perf- perfect parents, obviously, just aware and conscientious people. And it can take a long time to change patterns, old behaviors, old beliefs, old habits. But for the sake of your kids, it's not possible, not only possible, but desirable. They deserve to be treated in ways that reflect their developing bodies and brains. They deserve to have respectful boundaries. They thrive when you give them the opportunity to rise up to an occasion. And I've seen this time and time again with children, with my own children, my grandchildren, and my students. So here's the challenge for you. Think of an old way that you talk or respond to your kids. And then when you just have a moment to reflect, think of a new way that you can say the same thing. Think of the positive spin on that subject. And then every chance you get, put that into your repertoire of interactions. So I just have a few examples for you just to to help it be a little bit more concrete in your thinking and to help you. Sometimes I think it's hard to come up with a way to talk. So let's say you used to say to your child, don't talk with food in your mouth. So a new way could be when you finish chewing and swallow, then you can tell me what you wanted to say. This new way helps your child know she needs to not talk with food in her mouth, but it also gives her information on what to do. It lets her know that you know she has something to say, and you really do want to hear what she has to say, but the polite and safe thing is to chew, swallow, and then talk. Another example might be you might have said in the past, give that toy to your sister. She had it first. Don't be selfish. Another, a a new way could be, you can give the toy back to your sister or I can help you hand it to her. Then when she's done, you can play with it. Now this will mean follow through. And that's what I said a little bit earlier. Sometimes it's hard. You have to follow through. So we, in our um, classrooms, sometimes we do what's called hand over hand. And I've done this with my kids and my grandkids You actually put your hands on top of the child's hands and you help her hand it back if she's not able to do it on her own. Now, this can be hard and she probably won't like it and she'll be unhappy and maybe have a fit, but that's okay because she has to feel that boundary. And it lets her know she won't be allowed to grab things from other people. And so there's no need to really talk about being selfish or who had it first. The point is when someone has a toy or anything, We can show courtesy and wait for a turn or choose something else. So another one might be something like, go give grandma a hug. Let's say you're getting ready to leave grandma's house and you want want your your child and, and the grandma to have a connection. But we have a lot of, of sensitivity around that is critically important for children to understand that they have control over their body. So a new way could be, Would you like to give grandma a hug? And that gives the child the opportunity to say yes or no. If they say no, then you can offer an alternative such as, well, okay, you can blow her a kiss or wave bye-bye. And then to grandma, you can say, we are honoring her choices around her body and respecting her wishes. Children should not have to worry about someone's hurt feelings 
because they don't feel like giving a hug at that moment. So this is critically important for children to be knowing that they have that respect. Another idea I had was something around food. So we get worried about when our kids don't eat. So, you know, maybe in the past you said, if you don't eat, you won't grow. A new way could be your growing body needs lots of vitamins and minerals. Healthy food gives you the energy you need. So would you like to eat your carrots first or your chicken? An addendum to this would be only to offer healthy choices throughout the day. So no candy, no sweets, no soda. This way, kids won't develop an affinity for sugary foods, and they will be more likely to try new fruits and vegetables and healthy proteins. And, um, another idea about around you know homework and, and older kids, you might have said, go finish your homework. Your brother already has his done. So instead, you could say, it's time to finish your schoolwork before you go to bed. Do you need some help? Which page would you like to start with? Let me know if you don't understand something. So please, please never, never, never compare siblings. This is so tempting and we think it will urge them to want to comply. But in reality, it sets up an unhealthy competition and then ultimately animosity and, and struggle between siblings. Very often it also creates apathy so that the child who already feels inferior to another sibling often just gives up. And finally, there's um, kind of another uh, phenomenon we have in families where kids are categorized by the things that they can do well. So you might say, you might have said to your one of your children, oh, you're the musical one in the family and your sister is the athlete. So you instead you could say something like, I know you love music and you love to dance and do yoga. Your sister enjoys playing organized sports and she likes to listen to music too. I love it that you both enjoy so many things and that you've found those things that you feel like you do best. So when you categorize your kids by the things they do well, and it kind of excludes the other kids and no one should be excluded from an activity just because they're, they're not excelling at it or, or another person does it better. So you can just simply acknowledge the things that each child does well and also point out that they all enjoy many different things. So kids really don't want to be treated as inferior. Even though they are not on equal footing with adults, they need strong boundaries. We can still treat them with respect. We can treat them with dignity and grace and courtesy. And just talking to them in a regular, normal adult voice is very helpful. They don't need you to raise their de your decibel level. They don't need you to talk down to them. And they definitely need age-appropriate information. So when you explain something to your child, use appropriate terminology. They can handle big words. They may not fully comprehend, and they may ask you what it means. But giving them new words helps develop those neural connections in the brain and gives them a broader base from which to learn and recall later. And if you understand science, explain things like clouds and storms, lightning, photosynthesis, so they can begin to understand their world on a cognitive level. Talk to them about how a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. 
show them books with photos of developing fetus and give them accurate terminology for the human body. And of course, it's all age dependent, but there are so many ways that you can be accurate and be concrete in, in the way that you describe things to your kids. So if you do share fictional stories or fairy tales, help them recognize that people like to make up stories. It's a simple um, phenomenon based on many, many, many eons of, of people relating to their children and to the world. And children also like to make up stories. But you need to help young children especially know that reality is separate from that so they don't become confused when they do learn the truth. Now, a favorite book of mine, and I may have mentioned this before, is um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And it's, a, it's written by two women, Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. That's called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And I just recently found out that there's an audiobook and they're, they have adapted, I think, for different age groups. So just check that out if you're interested. I found it a great resource um, when I was trying to convert my thinking and my, my words that I used with my kids. I'm sure if you think about how you're communicating with your kids, you will begin to recognize ways that you do feel successful and ways you may want to make revisions. Just give yourself grace and time and you can make those desired changes um, it's possible. There are a million and one ways to respond to kids. Every day, every situation, every life experience calls for a different mode of communication. It calls for a different approach. So just try to relate to your kids from a place of heart connection. Remove the fear around making sure they turn out perfectly or the fear that you're not going to be a perfect parent. And just simply talk to them in ways that you would like other people to speak with you. So until next time, thanks for listening.